Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas for $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, does anyone want to learn French with me? Because I've decided in 2024 that I want to learn French. And thankfully, I have Rosetta Stone. So you better hop on and so we can learn French together. Rosetta Stone has the amazing true accent feature, which is so helpful, especially in French. You get feedback on how well you're actually pronouncing words. Plus, they have 25 languages to choose from. So if you're not going to learn French with me, I'm sure you can find some other people who will learn a language with you. But I'm on the French team this year. Come on, folks, join me. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, and that's why we drink listeners, can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash drink. That's rosettastone.com slash drink. Recording? Wait, what? Are we recording? Yes. You did that thing again where you didn't tell me. Well, you know, I want to start as au naturel as possible. It's our first time seeing each other since last year. Can you believe it? I never said happy new year to you. Happy ha- new year. Happy new year. Guess what? What? This is episode 49, which is my lucky number. <gasps> which means next week will be 50. Yes. Halfway to a century. Wow. Remember that time when I said, oh, in 100 episodes, it'll be a year. And you were like, that's not how weeks work. <laughs> <laughs> How was your Christmas? You know, it was fabulous in that I got sick and slept on the couch most of the time. How was yours? Uh, it was about the same in that I also got sick. And at the same time, Allison met my family. Uh, it, I heard it went well, though. It went well. My mom's pretty much gung-ho about this. Listen, if Linda supports it, I support it. My As soon as they met and Allison went upstairs to grab something, my mom dragged me into the bathroom and was like, I really like her. I oh. really, really like her. I and mean, I was like, you come on, just say it to her face. Well, and Linda's not going to lie to you, so. No, I've never seen her more sincere. <laughs> it was very weird. I didn't approve until now, and now I approve. Oh, good. So. Well, also, because I got sick, Allison had a lot of opportunities to stay upstairs and take care of me, but she took care of me and hung out with my family by herself. Oh, I wouldn't have done that. I know. That's what impressed (laughs) everyone. They were like, you don't have to be here. Like, you don't have to be this nice. And she hung out with them on her own and took care of me at the same time. So my mom is very excited for us to never break up. I'm so happy. Blaze came to my house and my parents were like, he's a good boy, as usual. (laughs) It's like, oh, yeah, you should marry him. Yeah, they're like, well, okay, I guess we'll support your wedding and... I'm tr- I'm going back in March to do food tasting and wedding dress shopping, which is terrifying to me because it just seems like a lot. When I came, when I went home, my mom was trying to get me to do some wedding projects with ah. her, and she showed me where she's getting married. Where is she getting married? Um, it's downtown in our. I mean, we only have one. Area. But can you triangulate it though? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> well, only because I don't remember the name of it. Oh. <laughs> But um, otherwise, you would absolutely otherwise I would. reveal publicly. Can you imagine so many people would just show up in Fredericksburg that one weekend? <laughs> but I, mean, uh, I would because I'm not invited, but I'd crash it anyway. Very surprised you're not invited. Listen, I'm still upset about it. She's weaning out people very fast. She's uh, apparently they're trying to not break the budget. Linda, consider yourself weaned. <laughs> so she uh, 
showed me where they're getting married. And it's a very weird area where they're, quote, walking down the aisle because it's a random piece of grass. What? In between, like, the roundabout where the cars come. (laughs) Wait, what? And, like, a cliff. It's literally called Suicide Hill. I'm sorry. Oh, that's how we can triangulate it. I know it by Suicide Hill. What the hell? It's literally, it's just like a steep fall off. Or like, I mean, like, if you fell, like, you would hurt. You get hurt, but you, like, you wouldn't even really get hurt enough. <laughs> like, I would, for $10, you fall down it. Just like, it's be not maimed. that bad. Like, it's just called Suicide Hill because it looks like you could really get hurt, but also you really wouldn't. It's like a four-foot drop. What in the actual hell? So she's, it's not even meant to be an aisle or anything. It's just a weird patch did, of lawn. How did she find it? Well, the whole venue is really pretty. Oh, it's a venue. Like, it's actually. Like, there's a venue indoors, but she wants to get married outside. So it's in, like, this weird side yard. <laughs> it's driveway. very odd. It's very odd. And she was trying to, like, kind of dance around the fact that it was weird. She was trying to throw a lot of ideas at me. She's like, or we could do it here. And I'm like, Mom, this is weird. <laughs> this is a weird thing. And you know it. So... Anyway. Well. As long as she's happy. I'm happy for her. Also, it's going to be June in Virginia, and it's, I think, a night wedding, so... Humid? No, it's just going to rain the whole time. Oh. <laughs> so... Good. Anyway, we'll, well see how it goes. I gave you our save the date. That you we did. finally got mailed. You were the third person to receive a save the date. You gave me Allison's save the date. <laughs> I did. And said, you. here's your save the date. <laughs> well, and Allison was like, I expect mine to be mailed. And I was like, fine. So... Well. You'll be getting one in the mail. Well, you did get a Christmas gift. I did? Slash an engagement gift. What do you mean? This was supposed to get to you back when you got engaged. What, in July? But it took a long <laughs> time to get here. What is it? Wait, you have it right now? I have it. Why do you always do this to me? Well, this is not my gift. This I'm the messenger currently. Whose gift is it? This is comes from Deirdre. Oh, Deirdre! After you guys met and be, quickly became fast friends. It's not a cross-stitch. It's not a cross stitch. Oh. As soon as they... Do you want to talk about how you guys came to be? How you guys got to know each other real quick? <laughs> just like a synopsis. I mean, Deirdre showed up and was like, hey, I'm going to be on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And we were like, yeah, we know. And then <laughs> she came on the podcast and was like, by the way, I made this fucking amazing cross stitch that features everybody of the podcast that looks like it costs $200 on Etsy. <laughs> and then was like, okay, bye. And then... Well, then... All of a sudden, we were all, all on the couch after we recorded. Right. And we just started talking about weird shows. Mm-hmm. We started talking about My Strange Addiction. <laughs> yeah, we did. And what did you guys bond over specifically? It was a squirrel. <laughs> what was its name again? Sugarbush. Sugarbush. I was going to say sassy, but that's your class. Describe Sugarbush to the to, <laughs> the, to okay. the listeners. Here's the thing. There's a squirrel. Okay, there's this lady. She's crazy. And she has... Okay, there's this really bananas fucking nut job lady. And she is on My Strange Addiction. And I fully support her, but she's pretty fucking bonkers. <laughs> and she <laughs> decided that her squirrel is like her like pageant child like she's like a dance mom or like a pageant mom but like for her squirrel like a literal wild squirrel and somehow she like um um what's the thing where you're very uh anxiety written all of a sudden can you breathe no (laughs) what's the thing where you um where you are kidnapped and then you like Oh, when you're sedated, like the squirrel is? No! Abducted. No, when you're kidnapped, but then you, Held like... hostage. You, like, um, associate with your abductor. Oh, uh, Stockholm Syndrome? Yeah, so basically her husband has Stockholm Syndrome. Uh, 
And he's like, yeah, it's, we love our pet squirrel. They literally decided not to have children so that they could give their full attention to the squirrel. They said they didn't want to take attention away from Sugarbush. The, ne- the squirrel's name is Sugarbush, in case you haven't noticed. And also, they fucking put clothes on it, and she has 350 outfits for this fucking squirrel. And if you go online, because Sugarbush has their own website, <laughs> and you can see the entire gallery of every picture... <laughs> That this international supermodel of a squirrel has taken, I mean, by the way. And then you can you can literally, like, buy them and frame them for yourself, these pictures. I'm going to lose my fucking mind, and I don't know what you're about to give me, but I can't breathe about it. Well, this was supposed to be your engagement present from oh my Deirdre. God. I'm going to lose my fucking However, mind. because it's come so late, it's an engagement slash Christmas. But the theme was engagement. Okay. So this was entitled... <laughs> this one's entitled June Bride. <laughs> I want you to notice at the bottom corner, Sugarbush has autographed it. Oh my god. Why did I do this to this poor squirrel? <laughs> it's a- oh they really dunked his feet in ink and he really autographed That's literally it. literally his autograph? Yes. I'm gonna cry. Deirdre, thank you. I'm gonna post a photo of this on our on our Instagram. You guys, if you haven't seen the episode, <laughs> please watch the episode. This is how my childhood best friend and my L.A. best friend <laughs> became best friends, where one of them was like, have you heard of Sugarbush? And the other was like, teach me everything. <laughs> and then they didn't need me in the room for the rest of that night. They just bonded very weirdly together. I'm going to get this framed. Blaze is going to be like, why is this hanging above our marital bed? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's a June bride. It's wearing a wedding dress. I do want to show you one. I can't even breathe right now. Okay. I also got one. Wait, shut up. As my Christmas gift. Please show me. Mine is also autographed. Oh my God. Mine is titled Finding Osama. Ah, what? <laughs> this poor squirrel. <laughs> Wait, fuck. Somebody needs to get these people a therapist immediately. I, 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 it's a squirrel riding a tank with a little fucking turban on. <laughs> yep. It says Sugar Bush Squirrel goes undercover in Afghanistan to search for the evil Osama bin Laden. Sugar Bush is stuck between Iraq and a hard place. You can tell that this is a very Republican squirrel owner. Clearly. Yep. Anyway, we both got very interesting gifts. You've got to frame that from too. the same squirrel. Oh yeah, we will do side by side. I'm hanging this in our podcast room. Anyway, so I thought we would start on a high note. That just overwhelmed me so much. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting that. I thought you were gonna be like, "Oh, here's a gift. It's wine," and I was gonna like <laughs> freak out. But this was like a different level. There you go. Probably the best gift you've gotten on this podcast. It's the best gift I've gotten in any universe of any lifetime, including your engagement ring. All of it. All right. So, first of all, this episode, number 49, my lucky number, is donated to... Is donated. Is dedicated. <laughs> You're it welcome. It is donated. I'm going to get... On our behalf. A tax credit for it. <laughs> this is uh, dedicated to Mio Diaz. Ooh. So, thank you for your $25 donation, your $25 pledge, like we're PBS or something. Yeah, right, yeah. Your phone-a-thon pledge. <laughs> thank you, Mio. Mio's been a dedicated donor... Um, since september 
That's like four months. That's a long, long time. Holy smokes. Mio deserves this. Mio. What, do, what is, doesn't Mio mean? It means my. My? Okay. Like, Dios Mio. Like, my God. Oh. All right. Uh, a lot of people have been like, hey, um, I donated a month or two ago, and where's my merch? And let's just say I'm trying real hard. <laughs> oh, what happened? No, it's just like a lot, and I didn't ever prepare for this many people to be supporting us so i'm trying to get everyone's merch out but it's hundreds of people so it's kind of coming in waves it's overwhelmingly wonderful it's and wonderfully overwhelming thank you that's the best way to put it and i will say that um i did send a message out to everyone on patreon if you have not received your merch and you are a ten dollar or more donor please send me please respond to the message and send me your address and what level donation you are because everything's going to go out this month. It's coming, I promise. We're, we put out a few blooper reels. Going to be doing some videos soon. I know I keep saying that, but we actually... Remember are. that time we were like, we're all caught up. Yeah, and then everyone was like, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, we were yesterday, and now we're not anymore. Anyway. So I just... I I promise it's coming. I promise. I'm just okay, I believe really you. overwhelmed. <laughs> It's okay. We believe you. But I love you guys so much. I just never thought this many people would support us. We were just talking about this. Our anniversary is coming up next month. Two weeks from now, I thought. Oh, no. Two weeks. Two weeks from now is the anniversary of me asking if you wanted to do a podcast with me. So, like, the proposal. The proposal. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Our engagement. Two weeks from today, yeah. And then February 9th is our anniversary. That's bananas. We really did not think we would even last a year. Em brought this up and we started laughing and then it became one of those laughs where you just like can't stop fucking laughing. It was laughing. just building. It was like a chuckle and then the chuckle turned into a, a hearty <laughs> laugh and then the hearty laugh turned into a wallop. It was just like a, <laughs> a wallop. A yes. walloping laugh. We were, I was like crying. I was laughing so hard because we were like, this is insane. I, we cannot believe we that. We can't believe it. Anyone has listened to us for a year. Why? What I can't you, believe. What are you guys doing? Do you have other hobbies? Go get them. Listen, go play golf. Go anything. Go call your dad and play golf. Oh. No? Or mom. Moms can play too. Listen. Gentlemen only, ladies forbidden. I think not. There's a ladies tea for a reason. Ooh. It's you know what I think is very sexist? Tell me. Okay. Uh, there is a, a glasses company who will go unnamed... <gasps> Warby um, Parker. No, I'm really not going to name them. Lens Crafters. I'm still not going to name them. Uh, but it's a sunglasses. They're like a tactical company. Ray-Ban. So they're, stop it. So they're known to be like very like masculine. Uh-huh. But they only have two options on their, um, like for all of their glasses, they only have two options. One is adult and the other is female. <laughs> <laughs> and I only found this out because they're one of the brands that we represent at yeah. my job. And so I was looking at the website to look at their styles <laughs> and they all come in either adult or female. And I was like, I guess you can't be both. Weird. I'm, listen, <laughs> I'm not doing this. Listen, I, that's irritating. It's like those Bic pens that were like. For women. Children, adults, and then women's pens and they were like all pink and you were like wait what yeah, they're all pink and apparently they're like meant to be held a certain way oh yeah for a woman's touch it was like finally pens for women it's like, like oh what i've been looking for this whole time <laughs> wow my secretary job was not fit for me <laughs> until now anyway um beep boop bop that's all i have to say okay well i have to say this 
So this isn't a ghost story. I'm my resolution for the show is to bring more variety. Oh, fuck yes. I'm so excited. So a lot of people have asked about this. We've gotten emails from Jason, Deacon, and Beverly. What what a that sounds what like an assortment of names. Sounds like the cast of like Stranger Things 3. <laughs> <laughs> All three of them have asked for this story, although it is not Wait, ghostly. Tell me what it is. It is supernatural. It is uh, my first alien story. <gasps> oh my god, I'm so excited. And it's the, as far as I know, I'm not very um, privy to the UFO world just yet. You're not? But from what I've been told from Google is that this is like the landmark UFO case. Okay. Like the main one. I want to just tell you real quick that... Aliens are one of the things that scare me the most. Yay! You'll have a good time then. So I just want to warn you, I'm going to be really fucking freaked out. Like, I'm not usually with ghost stories. So you're going to be gasping a lot, you say? I'm going to be looking out the windows like a craze. Where's your wine? Where's your Weight Watchers wine? Here's the thing. Allison was like, I'll bring wine, and then brought one bottle. Well, she doesn't know how to party. Clearly, she didn't live up to my expectations. Yeah, and then she said, oh, I got you ice cream, and then, like, ate half of it. I was like, well, that's not... There was a whole gallon of ice cream, M. That's That doesn't mean anything to me. All right, go on. This is the story of Barney and Betty Hill. Oh, my. They are humans, not aliens. <laughs> the Martians. Well, Barney I feel and like Betty. I ought to say something. because <laughs> Well, Barney and Betty, aren't they Flintstones? Barney is a dinosaur. No, Barney Rubble and Betty Rubble. No. They're the Flintstones' friends. I thought her name... Oh, the one Fred Flintstone and his friend is Barney Rubble, and then he marries Betty. So Wendy, mm. wait, Wendy Wilma that Wilma, that's her name. Wilma and Fred Flintstone had pebbles, and then his best friend Barney Rubble is with Betty, and they have Bam Bam. So this is a cartoon. So really, Barney and Betty either were abducted and then cavemen. Oh my! Or were cavemen and then abducted. That seems more likely in my brain. Okay, sure. So this is just like the like the sequel to Flintstones. So it's like when they meet the Jetsons. Yes. Okay. Except they're meeting. Oh, well, they are from outer space. Yeah. That's are the Jetsons from outer space or just the future? Uh, the, I mean, both. Okay. Barney and Betty Hill. Um, they were the first family, well, couple. They're the first people to introduce the gray alien into popular culture. So like <gasps> the idea... That we all have when we think of an alien, like super short yeah. with a big head and like black cat-like eyes with no noses and they're bald. And they're creepy. like And like very like thin digits. Gangly. Yes. Mm-hmm. That image apparently, that stereotypical image of an alien was introduced in this story. Okay. And this is also the story that began the entire alien abduction phenomenon. What? So. Phenomenon. Phenomenon. Sure. So, uh... This is in 1961 mm-hmm. in New Hampshire at 10.30 p.m. That's very specific. And uh, the hills, more like the rubbles. <laughs> am I right or am I right? Am I right or am I not <laughs> wrong? Uh, they were coming home from vacation. Uh, they were on their way back to Portsmouth, New Hampshire from their trip to my homeland, Canada. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say Virginia, but you went. No, I went to the truth. The real to, homeland. I went to the reality. Gotcha. Barney, we're going to step aside from the fact that they're obviously cavemen. Mm. Barney was a uh, black postman. Oh. Betty was a white social worker. 
and oh. they were in an interracial couple. And this was the 1960s. I was going to say, that's pr- quite progressive. So that's just like a fun fact, but also might be important later. Totally. So Betty, it all starts, they're driving from my homeland. Mm-hmm. And Betty sees a bright light in the sky that moved from below the moon, like it started at below the moon and started flying vertical okay up and down in front of the moon ew and the light was growing bigger and brighter and moved rapidly she assumed immediately it was a ufo but um barney thought it was a plane okay so originally he was like oh it's probably a plane but then all of a sudden it started moving pretty wildly so it's like like, "Mm." me and blaze where i'm like it's a ufo yes and he was like it's a plane and blaze is literally always like it's a helicopter plane and it's always a helicopter or plane yeah (laughs) but this time maybe barney was wrong except this time team christine won finally i've been waiting so the light grew bigger and brighter started moving pretty erratically Mm -hmm. um they stopped the car uh and betty saw quote an odd shaped craft with flashing multicolored lights moving in front of the moon oh no um it then quickly went from being far away to dropping down almost on top of the car oh no um it dropped down it was getting closer and closer to them and for some reason instead of freaking out they just drove slowly (laughs) so they were doing the blaze thing to be like well let's observe and see what's going on like just don't look too closely i'm sure it's just an airplane yeah so they were driving really slow to observe it Uh um as it got closer and closer to them betty swears that the whole experience as huge and loud and bright as it was it was eerily silent oh man um that's so creepy and it was over a hundred feet long and rotated above them in the circle oh my god that's awful and they were driving slowly like get the fuck out of there eventually it hovered about a hundred feet above their car and it was so big that if you look through the the windshield it filled the entire view oh my god you couldn't even see in front of you because it was just taking over so much space Uh uh-uh um fun fact it reminded barney of a huge pancake and it reminded Betty of a banana. <laughs> Whenever so, food gets involved, okay. I have to bring it up. But I'm guessing so, like it just means like long, wide, and flat. So it's like that Jack Johnson song. Or what's the name? Banana phone? Is that what you're talking about? No, I'm not talking about fucking banana phone. What's his name? Jack John Jack Johnson? Who sings like I'll make you banana pancakes? Yeah. Oh, okay. Is that Jack Johnson? I think so. Yeah. But yes, you're, banana pancakes. Listen, banana phone, whatever. The bananagrams. What are they called? Bananas and pajamas. That's what I'm thinking. I about. love the bananas and pajamas. You know what? It, it always, it probably actually scarred me a little when I was younger that I couldn't figure out how to say it the right way because pajamas, bananas and pajamas. Because pajamas and pajamas are used interchangeably, but usually I would think like, oh, bananas and pajamas because at least I can guarantee that bananas is how you're supposed to say it. Mm. But then in other countries, it's bananas. Well, and they were British, so they were like, bananas in pajamas. Yeah, and they said pajama, and I was like, oh, fuck. I was like, wait, which one is it? Now I can't tell. I'll tell you what. We hmm. had really traumatic, rough childhoods. That's what, <laughs> that's what I make of yeah, this whole your, experience. Uh, your mom ha- was held at gunpoint during Christmas one time, and I can't pronounce bananas. <laughs> so, I mean, we're both living like, you know, similar lives, I think. Uh, I'm more scarred about the bananas and pajamas, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's fine. So, anyway, they're thinking it's a pancake or a banana, apparently. Then, using binoculars, because I guess in the 60s, everyone just had those. Or, you know what? They were on vacation. I'll give them some slack. They just bring... Do you... What? Okay. They had binoculars. 
So using binoculars, um, Barney claimed, because first of all, I would not think, let me grab the binoculars <laughs> when there is a flying saucer so big I can't see outside my car and it's hovering on top of me. Yeah, the last thing I want is to see it closer. Yeah, I wouldn't be like, oh, get the get the binoculars. I can't see anything else, but this is still too far away. Right. Um, but anyway, that's what Barney did. Sure thing. He used the binoculars and claimed that he saw about 8 to 11 humanoid figures. Oh, no. Staring at them from a window in the craft. Oh, no. All but one left the room. That the they room? Were, like in the the room with the oh. window that they were looking out of. And the one that stayed continued to stare at Barney and telepathically told him, stay where you are and keep looking. Barney said that they wore glossy black uniforms and black caps. Oh, my. Which is creepy. I've never seen a glossy uniform. I don't know what that means. Like pleather? Pleather. I was about to say maybe they were strippers. Oh, that puts a spin on things. Listen, this is actually a big porno from the 70s. Or what year was this? All of a sudden you'll hear... Did someone order a pizza on this UFO? A banana and pajamas, perhaps? Oh, no. A banana pizza? Oh, kill me. Oh, my. So uh, a long ramp then descended from the bottom of the craft. No. As it does. Sure. And Barney ran back to his car. Because, by the way, he's also gotten wait, out wait, of this wait, point. Wait, wait, wait. He got out of the car with the binoculars to do some real fucking it's like viewing. Like bird watching. And he ran back to the car because now he's scared. Now that a ramp shows up. <clears throat> not fucking 11 humanoids in glossy pleather. Talking to you telepathically. Right. Mm-hmm. But the ramp coming down from the craft is what scared him. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he ran down and he got back to his car and drove at high speed and told Betty to keep lookout for the object. Poor Betty. <laughs> Betty's like, I don't want anything to do with this. Betty. Betty's like, get me out. <laughs> uh, they, As they're looking for it, the um, craft starts going away and coming back, like fading in and out of visibility. Oh, my. Like it's almost putting a cloak on itself. Yeah. And then coming back and then trying to hide itself again. Then they hear a rhythmic series of beeping and buzzing okay that i guess it's very melodic like they can it makes a certain sound to them and it apparently was like making the whole car vibrate um the car vibrating was so strong that they also began to feel tingling in their own bodies oh and they experienced the beginning of an altered state of consciousness that left them zombie like where they couldn't do anything they were just in a trance were they still driving Mm-hmm. Oh, my. That's dangerous. So they are now basically, I guess that was like, if this is a real story and if this really happened, it is. then that's how they get you to do whatever you want. That's how they put you in a trance-like state. Okay. You, They just tingle you up. <laughs> oh, is that what it's called? <laughs> yep. Oh, okay. They tingle you. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Got it's it. the pleather, honestly. It's, <laughs> it's the pleather. The pleather will just tingle you all the way to your core. <laughs> and so uh the next thing they remember is a second series of beeping or buzzing sounds to the same melody rhythm, yeah. same rhythm um and they returned to full consciousness they had traveled nearly 35 miles and several hours had passed whoa wait so they were driving like one mile an hour they were driving like half a mile an hour <laughs> oh my God. They were, like i imagine if they like if something was keeping the car at bay, maybe it was like just kind of keeping it on like a slow roll or something. Can you imagine 
like pulling up and being like, God damn it, like honking and like pulling it, past and oh they're both my, zombies. Can you oh can you imagine so that? Fucking or creepy. imagine looking in the car and no one's in there. And it's just rolling. It's just rolling very slowly. I think I'd be more creeped out if they were like zombie like I don't know, which is creepier. I think it'd be creepier if there was a car with no no one in it. Just drive. So I'd be like, how is it perfectly staying on the road? I mean that's fair. So when they got home, because they were just like, oh that's weird. <laughs> Some shit that you and I would do, I guess. Oh, standard. When they got home, they had some very weird behavior that they could not explain. Oh, no. Betty insisted that they put the luggage at the back door instead of the main part of the house or taking it apart or unloading it or anything like that. What? Which is like, we have to keep it at the back door. Um, both of their watches were broken. Of course. The binocular strap was torn, and they didn't know why. Oh, my God. Um, the tips of Barney's best dress shoes were scraped up. Oh, and God forbid. Uh, he obsessively began examining his genitals in the bathroom <gasps> and couldn't explain why, but oh, he needed no. to check his genitals. Oh no. They both took very long showers and don't remember why, but know that they needed to remove contamination. No, but they don't know why they were both so compulsively Ugh. desperate to do it. It's horrifying. The next morning, because then they go to bed, they're like, oh, that was weird. So just, then, honey, just leave the luggage by the back door. Just, and check your genitals. And uh, so the next... <laughs> check your genitals. Just, sorry, check. sorry, your shoes are scuffed. Check your genitals. Okay. That should just be what we tell people now. It's like, look, it's not our fault. Check your genitals. Really, that is a good PSA, though. I mean... You don't know what you did at the club last night? Check your genitals. I mean, it can't hurt. Yeah. It's really, we're just protecting society. We're just trying to help. We're just trying to help everybody. Um, the next morning... Uh, Betty placed her shoes and her clothing that she had worn into the closet, but she noticed that they were torn and covered in weird pink powder. Ew. And by torn, like her clothing, like her, she was wearing a dress and the hem, like zipper and everything was, in, com was just completely torn apart. Oh my God. Fun fact about that dress. Years later, crop circle invest investigators... Let me just say that again, because I think I almost said transvestites, and I it was a very weird experience. <laughs> I saw investigators, but I read it in my mind as transvest, and then transvestigators, and then alligators. So I was like transvestite about alligators. It was a. I think I just. I think I just got abducted. I'm really pleased that you're trying to explain it, but it really isn't. It like, isn't helping. No, it's not explaining anything. Anyway, crop circle transvestite alligators. Sure, sure. Um. Years later, crop circle investigators uh -huh. examined the dress and they said that it had, quote, an, an anomaly for bi a biological substance in a non... God damn it. I, it I, this whole sentence is wrong. Is that what they said? That's <laughs> really... <laughs> you imagine if a doctor came in and was like, I'm sorry, my whole sentence was uh, wrong. Just hold on. Although, not that a crop circle investigator is really the equivalent of a doctor <laughs> in my mind, but... It's fine. <laughs> Had an anomalous biological substance. Oh, what does that mean? It means they don't know what they it was, but it was it just is. some weird toxic substance. So what is a parent? What is a, a, a... Keep in mind, when I say years later, I mean like 40 years later. So really this anomaly could have just been like mites and mold and dust over time, but they can't explain why it's pink or why it's been there for 40 years and hasn't blown itself off the dress. Okay. Um creepy but interesting that it was torn to pieces and then a weird had a weird pink powder all over. it is really upsetting that the zipper was torn off and stuff yuck um over the years uh five different laboratories have also conducted chemical and forensic analysis on the dress really a lot of people have been very interested in this dress 
And not like the pleather shit that the aliens were wearing. <laughs> I'm more interested in that personally. Also, when they woke up that morning, there were shiny circles scraped into the bare metal on the car's trunk. Ew. So like the parts that used to have a color like paint, now there were just perfect metal circles Ew. scraped into the car. What the fuck? That had not been there the previous day. They put um, a compass near the spots and the needle would go crazy next to those <laughs> spots because for some reason those were magnetized, but the rest of the car was not. So they called a friend of theirs in the Air Force to report a UFO sighting. Okay. And originally he said, oh, no, you just, you just misidentified Jupiter. <laughs> it's like, sometimes Jupiter likes to take your clothes off. It's a little aggressive. Sometimes he's like, I mean, honestly, Jupiter needs to calm down. Jupiter's a little sexually frustrated and... <laughs> Also wants you to keep your luggage by the back door. I don't know. Right. Also check your genitals. Yeah, please. Always. Um, so basically he ended up filing the report in Project Blue Book. Do you know what that is? No. So Project Blue Book was one of, I think it was the third one back in like the 50s. It was one of the government's first records of any UFO oh. sightings. They were trying to figure out how to define ufos and then if any of them were causing threats to national security right basically. okay so there was like over twelve thousand. i think it was from 52 to like 69 mm -hmm. over twelve thousand reports holy shit were put in project blue book like to the government level yeah. oh my god but they did like and of course this does not mean it's true because the government's just saying whatever they fucking want to us but if you look it up, it says that all of them have been debunked, de either debunked or they were not a threat to national security. They were just misidentified flying objects. Guess what? Bullshit. Oh, a thousand percent. Oh, my God. If I get abducted, I swear to God. Oh, yeah. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> what? I didn't do it. I'm mad at you already if I get abducted. So the friend in the Air Force later found out like 20 years later, that the UFO that they saw was actually also confirmed that night at two different Air Force <gasps> facilities, both within hours of the abduction. Shut up. And, however, due to the altitude and low speed of this flying object, they were officially filed as weather balloons. No, the fucking weather balloons. It's, it's such a government thing to just such call something bullshit. a weather balloon. So, also fun fact, 10 days after the abduction... Betty started having persistent nightmares for oh. five nights in a row. Oh, no, no, no. Freaked out and wanting to remember them, she began writing down everything she could remember, which was quite detailed. Oh, fuck. And one dream, just one of them, her and Barney were at a roadblock and men surrounded their car. They forced her to walk into the forest and she saw Barney walking behind her in the forest. So she screamed for him, but he was in a trance and wasn't responding to her. The men were five feet, wore matching black uniforms mm -mm. and military caps. They had black hair, dark eyes, very prominent noses, blue lips, and gray skin. Barney and her uh, were walked up the ramp into a metal disc-shaped craft and separated from each other, where the leader said that if they were examined together, it would take longer. So they got separated. Oh, my God. The examiner, as Betty remembers, had a pleasant, calm manner and did not speak English as well as the leader. They said that they wanted to know the differences between humans and themselves, and they never gave a name for what they were. They took samples of hair, skin, and nails and examined their eyes, ears, mouth, teeth, throat, hands, legs, and feet. They stabbed a needle into her belly button. <gasps> Don't do that. Don't do that. However, 
Whenever she showed signs of pain, the leader would just wave his hand in front of her and the pain would vanish. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, can you imagine? That'd be imagine your crones, you can just go, Hello. It's like oh, it's listen, it's fine. Not a big deal. After the exam, she picked up a book with a bunch of symbols on it, and the leader said she could keep it. Oh. She asked where he came from, and he showed her a map with a bunch of dotted stars with lines connected to several of them. They began bringing uh, Betty and Barney back to the car when a bre- when a fight broke out between these alien figures. Whoa. And then they told Betty she could no longer keep the book because they don't want her remembering having met them. Having what? Having met them. Oh, they said having a thumb. I was like, they took her thumb? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Sorry. <laughs> okay, it's not true crime yet. So Disembodied thumbs. So in 1964, they were referred to a psychiatrist. But keep in mind, this was also like two or three years later. Jesus. Um, the psychiatrist's name was Dr. Simon, and he recommended that they undergo regression therapy. Mm-hmm. So he hypnotized them. He hypnotized them separately and recorded all of their sessions. And Barney's recall of coming across these aliens or figures was super emotional and staff had to hold him down during these (gasps) sessions because he was having such emotional distress. Under hypnosis, he reported um, that he was so afraid the whole time that he kept his eyes closed for much of the abduction and the exam. So he does not have as many details as Betty does. Wow. Um, he said that the monocular strap, this is while he was under hypnosis. So he doesn't actually know this when he's conscious. Um, he said that the binocular strap broke when he ran from the UFO back to the car, which is interesting because when he's not being hypnotized, he doesn't know why the binocular strap tore. Holy shit. Um, he recalled driving the car away from the UFO, but then felt irresistibly compelled to pull over and drive into the woods. What? He and keep in mind, in case anyone's lost, this is supposedly what happened in between the first and second uh, tingling vibrations where they lost like chunks of time. Oh, got you. Okay. So he, because the last thing they remember is trying to get away from this thing that was right and flying over them. Yeah, and then hours passed, and then all of a sudden they came to the second time they felt the vibrating on the car. Right, right, right. So apparently he was driving away. He felt compelled to pull over. Mm-hmm. They ended up in the woods and he found six men on the road. The car stalled and three of the six men approached the car and told him to not be scared and close his eyes. I'm really free. Easy, out. easy to do. <laughs> I know if I saw six <laughs> men in the middle of the night in a forest and they were like, don't be scared, close your eyes. It's, I'd be like, okay. It says pleather suits. It's like, <laughs> they're disarming. Just, oh yeah, just irresistible. <laughs> really sweep you off your feet. <laughs> So while hypnotized, Barney said, this is the creepy part, uh-huh. uh, he, even though he did close his eyes, it wasn't because he wanted to. It's because their eyes pushed his eyes shut. Ew. What? He said, I saw two eyes coming close to my face. What? And, no, literally, the eyes p- closed his. I thought this his, like a, a. Not a, like they stared at him. A so. metaphor. No, no, no. I stay. He said. I saw two eyes coming close to my face, and I felt like the eyes were pressing against mine. Oh, alien eyes on your eyeballs. Oh, so slimy. Yuck. They were taken onto a disc-shaped craft. And as I'm saying this, this is different than my normal paranormal stories, because I'm telling two different accounts, so I'm trying to, like, play catch-up and see how similar they are. So as I'm saying this, also think of the things that were going on in Betty's dream. Right, right, right. See if they pan out. Okay. 
So he says they were taken onto a disc-shaped metal craft where they were separated, and he was told to lie on a small rectangular exam table. And keep in mind, now they're separated, so whatever we heard from Betty's experience was in a different room. Right. He was told to lie on a small rectangular exam table. He kept his eyes closed for most of the exam, unlike Betty, who apparently just voyeured all of this. (laughs) She's a badass. A device was put over his genitals. Oh, my. Which would make sense why the next day he had to keep checking them. Yeah. He says he didn't orgasm, but a sperm sample was taken. Ooh. Which means they, like, pulled it out of him. Ew. Whoa. They took skin samples and examined his ears and mouth and were very interested in his dentures. In his dentures? That's kind of mean. Apparently, they don't know what insecurities are on this planet. I mean, really, it's pretty cruel to point that out. This is pretty cruel, too. A tube was inserted into his anus. No, thank you. And he felt through the tube someone touching his spine and <laughs> counting his vertebrae. I need you to stop talking because I don't know if you know, but spines are the Spines one- are... I know. I'm the same way. Spines freak me the fuck out. I'm going to lose my fucking mind. Imagine someone feeling your stop spine. Stop it! Em, I'm not kidding. Stop. <laughs> I'm going to lose my... Fu- I can't... <laughs> Blaze got a mug that ha- from Lisa that has like kind of like a drawing of, and I was like, put it in the trash. I don't want to look at it. <laughs> My dad's a chiropractor. I'm aware. Believe me, that's why I don't talk about it. The few times they communicated, uh, that the humanoid figures communicate with Barney. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He said that every time that they spoke, it was telepathic, and their mouths never moved when speaking. Wow. He was escorted to the car and told to watch them leave before he drove away. Under hypnosis, Betty's account is very similar to her dreams about um, about pretty much the exam and all that. Mm-hmm. But her capture release is a little different. The UFO's technology is a little different. And the description of the aliens were a little bit different. Interesting. However, that could be because at, when you're dreaming, you're just throwing random... You're projecting stuff yeah. into... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is that reason why it might not be similar. Okay. Um. Although the regression differed from her dreams, so even though, like, essentially the possible potential truth was different from her dreams, both Barney and Betty's regressions um, were very consistent with each other. That is what's creepy. Both of their descriptions were ultimately the first alien image of short and gray with huge black cat-like eyes, bald, and smooth green-slash-gray wrinkly skin. Smooth and wrinkly. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like smooth, but wrinkled in some parts. It's kind of like ripply. Yep. Icky. Betty's regressions were also very distressing, so she also, um, either they would have to restrain her or end sessions early. Oh, no. So she was uh, advised by Dr. Simon that she should sketch out this map that the (gasps) leader said, oh, this is where we're from. Right. So, and this is important, her... Her map had 15 stars on it, and 12 of those stars were connected by lines, and she said that they told her these were main trade routes. So these were very often traveled Whoa, stars. okay. The other three were uh, apparently less visited, but they were they formed a very distinct triangle. Okay. So in 1966, she also wrote a book called The Interrupted Journey, which included the star map, star map that she drew. Okay. Two years later, an amateur astronomer, also an elementary school teacher, her name was Marjorie Fish. What a badass. From Oak Harbor, Ohio. O-H. I-O. She read the book 
and saw the star map. And she was so intrigued by it that as an amateur astronomer trying to play around with it, she got kind of obsessed and tried to determine which star system the UFO could have possibly come from. So it was like one of those like freaky fans who like just had to know. So she took the star map and literally uh, in her own living room, made her living room a 3D model of the sketch. What? And walked around it like dot by dot, star by star. And tried to figure out where in the galaxy this place, this place was. Holy smokes. So she went about it by assuming that one of those 15 stars had to have been the Earth's sun. Right. Um, Interesting. And she made a 3D model by... Uh, basically, she assumed that they one of them at least had to be a sun-like star. And so she used threads and beads. And then she made them the exact distance based on... It's called like the glee star catalog and it's like the most accurate for like stellar distances and stuff like that so she used the 1969 catalog to determine the distances from each other so even though she used the 1969 version of that book to figure out all the distances that book like okay so she wrote this book in 1966 with the star map keep in mind she's had the star map since 1961 when they were abducted right so, like, eight years later, this catalog comes out. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, the most up-to-date thing. Right. So that means that this... That means Betty drew something eight years before astronomers even discovered it. Ew. And so it matched the book? And it matched. Oh, no, no, no. So after several years, um, Marjorie Fish, the girl who's trying to do this... Yeah. She determined that the map was actually from the viewpoint of a double star system called Zeta Reticuli. What? And she was able to determine it because of the distinct triangle that the lesser three stars made. Um, Holy shit. So she submitted her thoughts because she was like, this is just a theory. I'm an amateur astronomer. What do you think? Here are my thoughts. Dear, dear Abby. <laughs> dear Abby. <laughs> I have some thoughts about these stars. Well, so she submitted her thoughts to Astronomy Magazine. Okay. And it invited readers to send in their comments and debate it. That was the first time that this magazine's ever done it. Because even they didn't know. They were like, everyone write in and <laughs> like tell us what else. you thought. Someone else tell us what's going on. So it became a huge thing. So for like a year, they were like carrying arguments for and against this wow. idea that maybe it was Zeta Reticuli. Um, and that included like famous astronomers like Carl Sagan was Jesus. like involved. Like everyone. And like famous astronomers were... Like against each other's opinions, like wow. Even so they, they were literally know. arguing over this woman's yeah theory. She was like, hmm, "Amateur, I don't think so." She's like, "Neil deGrasse Tyson's tweeting about me. <laughs> like, it's fine. It's whatever." So when she did draw this map, it was eight years before it was this. Oh my god! You know? Whoa! I know. Three hours just passed. <laughs> we just traveled thirty-five miles. She okay. So she drew the map eight years before it had been discovered. Okay. Um, so some speculate, cause this, this is where the backlash comes. I gave you all the info, but this is the reception from people. Listen, we're hard news here. We don't oh, have yeah. opinions about anything. We don't. I just feel like based on some of you nasty iTunes reviews, you're saying that I don't give you both sides of the coin. So here Did you they go. say that? A few have. I don't read those reviews. Oh. They make me cry. Well, you know what? I listen to them and if they're still going to bitch and moan. Sorry about it. But they're not listening anymore, so, like, whatever. Oh, well, I can just be done with my story then. Okay, bye. No, no, no. 
<laughs> so some speculate that Barney's recollection of the UFO was probably inspired by Betty just talking his ear off about it for two years. So they think like, oh, you probably didn't really see anything. You're, you've just heard it so many times that you think. It's in your like subconscious or whatever. Because uh, basically after this all happened, she started writing about it for like two right. years. She was having those dreams and stuff. Yeah. And she wanted to remember every detail about it. And she got weirdly obsessed with this. Right. I mean, who wouldn't if right, this happened right, to you? Right. But she got weirdly obsessed where she wrote about the accounts every day right. for like two years. And obviously, if you're married to the guy, like, he's going to have to hear about it every day for two years. So <laughs> poor guy. <laughs> he obviously knew her side of it. And so later when it went into, like, hypnosis, he could have just been repeating. Right. Like, regurgitating things that she had said. Right. So that's one thought of, like, oh, he didn't really mean any of it. It's just, like, so ingrained in oh him. Oh, my God. It's like if you put Blaze under hypnosis and he's like, yep, there's ghosts in the world. <laughs> there's also aliens. Also, Gio's the best and I only drink red wine. Men don't count. Yep. Only Gio. <laughs> red wine's the only beverage. And so uh, some also say that the abduction was just a hallucination brought on by stress for being an interracial couple in the 1960s. What? I know. Way, to, way to find a way in a UFO abduction story to throw race into Let's the Let's talk about that for a fucking second. Let's not even. Let's go. Go away. So Betty discounted this being like, fuck you guys. Yeah, my relationship well, yeah. is happy and it's never caused an issue. And then some people are also saying that this was just a whole dream that they concocted because they were sleep deprived from traveling <laughs> for so long. <laughs> Like, look, I've been I, sleep deprived. I've never been fucking abducted from it. I wish my dreams were that fucking interesting that I could write a book about them. Some also say that the story was influenced. This is kind of a fair argument in my mind. Mm -hmm. Some say that the story was influenced from the movie that came out only like a couple years earlier, Invaders from Mars. Oh. And an episode on a sci-fi show called The Outer Limits. Okay. So The Outer Limits was a sci-fi show that was, I guess, getting really big at the time. And they had an episode broadcasted only two weeks before their abduction mm. about alien abduction, where the very first description of a gray alien ever happened. And then two weeks later, they, quote, got abducted and their only describer, uh, their only description of an alien happened to be the exact same one that just showed up for the first time ever on an episode that came out two weeks ago. So do they think they just like... They think they watched the episode and then like... Like intentionally copied it or like, like subconsciously? Subconsciously did it. But then what? I don't know, but it... I mean, the stereotypical alien description didn't right. show up until they announced it, until they started talking about it. Yeah. And then they were like... And then people got skeptical and were looking back and being like, actually only two weeks before right. you were the people who created that description... An episode Something created of a that, show that right. you watch just happened two weeks beforehand. So they watch the show? They say no, but other people are like, I know them and they watch the show. <laughs> so, Listen, Betty's my neighbor. Yeah, I'm not going to say I peek through their window. I'm just going to say I know what they watch it's on TV. It's not like my lace curtains are transparent or anything, but I definitely <laughs> watch their TV. But yeah, so the first ever description of gray aliens came from them uh, and two weeks prior in an episode that they watched. That's a little sketch. Um, also, the original description that Betty had of the aliens in her nightmare is that they were short men with black hair and big noses, but in Barney's regression alone, he described a stereotypical gray alien, and after Betty heard his recorded session, all of a sudden, she started describing the same Interesting. alien. Interesting. So they were like, mm, you weren't doing that before. 
And then she never mentioned the black hair and short noses again. Interesting. It was always gray hair or bald, no hair, and no noses. No noses. Oy. You know how aliens don't really have noses? It's so creepy. So it was more than two years after the abduction that they finally got hypnotized. So other people also think like, oh, well, after two years of just sitting on it before actually getting any regression therapy done, your story could have easily changed. And probably thinking about it all the time and having dreams and stuff. Yeah. Yes. And so um, regardless of all that, because they were the first people to really start this abduction phenomenon, quote, Mm -hmm. um, they were invited to a lot of like alien conspiracy conventions and like all these wild events surrounding ufos and they became pretty famous as a couple in that community but then they also started becoming kind of embarrassing because so many people were skeptical about their story and one enthusiast one ufo enthusiast actually worked with them at a ufo event and said that betty was so obsessed with ufos that it made him not even believe her own story what and that when they were just walking around, she was unable to distinguish a UFO from a streetlight. So, like, whoa, so she, she was, was totally not reliable. Bonkers. In 1995, she wrote a self published book called A Common Sense Approach to UFOs, because obviously <laughs> I need one of those. Listen, don't use a nonsensical approach. And even UFO enthusiasts were like, it's filled with delusional stories. <gasps> They're saying that she saw like a truck levitate above a freeway and it never got reported. Whoa. And in 1966, she also wrote, I now regularly see our, quote, friends about eight or nine times out of ten every time we get in a car. What? And it's like, okay, but if that's the case, why aren't you fucking reporting that shit to, like, so it's make yourself valid? There's a streetlight every time you get in a yeah, car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Woof. So regardless of how true it is, most of Betty Hill's notes, tapes, and other items are on display permanently at the University of New Hampshire. Interesting. And in 2011, the spot on the road where their car was potentially abducted uh got a historical marker really Mm -hmm. cool as the first famous abduction site cool so there you go whoa i love alien stories but they scare the shit out of me i think the only thing that scared me out of all that is getting stabbed with a needle in the belly button in the belly button and uh spine spine. no no don't talk about it please (laughs) okay i'm gonna have nightmares and then i'm gonna get hypnotized and start a whole new phenomenon Yay. Okay. Do you want to hear something that's, like, just not even any better? It's just worse? Yeah. Okay, good. Also, thank you to the three people who recommended that. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you for my nightmares. Yes. So. So. This topic was suggested in an email from Alina. 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 Hello. Hi. It's the Lake Bodum murders Mm. in Finland. Neat. So, this takes place on Saturday, June 4th, which is my birthday, Hmm. 1960, outside the city of Espoo, Finland. Oh, yeah. I've been there. Yeah? No. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I knew you hadn't, but I just wanted to go with it anyway. I could have really thrown that around if I wanted to, but I I chose not to. You just immediately were like... I was like, I regret this. You're like, the listeners are yelling, no, (laughs) turn it around. Everyone's like, we know you too well at this point. You haven't been there. (laughs) If it's not Canada, you haven't been. You ha- have you even been to Canada? No. <laughs> <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> okay. Four Finnish teenagers decide to go camping along the shore of a lake known as Lake Bodum, which is a rural area near Helsinki, Finland. So here are the four teenagers that went camping. There was 15-year-old Myla Ermeli Bjorklund, 
and 15-year-old Anya Tuliki Maki. Oh my god, I don't know how to pronounce her name. Sorry. Tuliki Maki? Tuliki Maki. Sounds Hawaiian. It does, doesn't it? Uh, so Anya. And <laughs> that's her name. And then their boyfriends, uh, Seppo Antero Boysman and Niels Wilhelm Gustafsson, both 18. So these two 15-year-old girls, they're two 18-year-old boyfriends all went camping at the lake. Hmm. I'm going to not touch the fact that they're 18 and dating minors. I mean, I think the rules are probably different in other countries okay. in the 1960s. Oh, yes. I forgot about the 1960s. going to throw that out Did there. it happen to be... Oh, it was June 4th, you said? Mm-hmm. Hmm. So that was just about over a year before this abduction. I actually, when you said 1961, I was like, ah. Yep. All right, so weird things were happening everywhere. The 1960s, if you guys remember, they were a weird time. We were all there. I mean, I was. In spirit. So, these four teenagers, they Mm -hmm. go camping. Mm -hmm. So, around 6 a.m. the following morning, um, so it was Saturday night that they went camping. Sunday morning at 6 a.m., a few boys were out bird watching with binoculars, Mm. just like your story. Love a good binocular. Listen. (laughs) I don't know. No, there's nothing like a good binocular. There's nothing like a good prop set up with a binocular to get a story going. It's like, why would you even go anywhere without? Apparently, binoculars were like the trend of the 60s. I mean, clearly. For everyone to just be carrying them around. I mean, I know because I was there, but yeah. (laughs) Binoculars were the trendiest. I mean, you're camping, you're driving, you got bananas and pajamas. You, <laughs> you know, binoculars are important everywhere. You got bananas and pajamas, bananas and pajamas. It's all involved. It's all just quite a quite a decade. Probably everyone. Oh, you've was, got pleather. There was a oh, shiny pleather for sure. Everyone was probably on drugs. I don't really know how to explain it otherwise. Anyway. So there were some boys. They were out bird watching, and they noticed a collapsed tent near the lake. Later, around 11 a.m., uh, a local carpenter named Risto Siren discovered uh, the collapsed tent on a walk, and he found the bodies of Myla, Anya, and Seppo, who had all been stabbed and bludgeoned to death. Niels Gustafson was found as well. He was unconscious but alive. He had sustained a concussion and fractures to his jaw and face. As Shit. Well as a deep knife wound to the forehead. Fuck. Yeah. A deep? Deep knife wound to the Doesn't forehead. Doesn't that mean he's just hitting your brain? Yeah, just like straight in the head. Shit. You know, speaking of Deirdre. <laughs> speaking of wounds to the forehead, let's talk about Deirdre. Well, I do remember a time her brothers were batshit crazy when we oh, were little. Oh, no. And I remember, uh, it's a it's a famous story in in the Deirdre the Deirdre household. Oh, one of her brothers, who Cece's now married to, by the way, mm. threw scissors at the younger brother, and they got stuck in his forehead. I don't like that. He <laughs> was running around, and then what? The, the the brother who is now Cece's husband, who threw the scissors, was like, "Don't tell mom! Don't tell mom!" <laughs> It's like a fucking cat in a hat, but like yes. nightmare version. I don't know if I was supposed to announce that. He's running around like a thing one, thing two with scissors in his forehead. Everyone knows about it now. Whoops. Anyway. Police determined that sometime between 4 a.m. and 6 a.m. during their camping trip, someone approached their tent while they were sleeping and began to attack them from the outside of the tent with a knife and a blunt object, which they believed to either be a large rock or a pipe. Fuck. 
Um, so the person attacked from the outside, outside. with a knife, like instead that's of that's kind of even scarier, I think, because like you don't know where it's coming from. Like yeah. there's just like he didn't even care to see you get hurt. Like he just yeah. wanted to hurt something and didn't even want to look at it. There's photos of the tent and it just has giant slashes like out of a fucking Shit. slasher movie. Like the tent is just sliced open. It's really... this is why when I go camping, I often don't want to spend the night because I'm like, you want to know something? Knows what? This is why I don't fucking go camping oh but i love camping i do too until it's six o'clock and the sun goes down and remember I'm like, that time i went camping and i got a uti this is why i don't go camping well look, that was the last time i went camping i don't need to go again don't for a while. do it because you know what i'll get another uti you'll get a uti and there will people there are people with large pipes oh okay and they will hurt you what else will happen to me you might go fishing but oh. you'll also probably get killed so <laughs> i don't know mercury poisoning obviously i mean Endless ways to die. So Gustafson's girlfriend, okay, Myla, mm-hmm. um, she was found on top of the tent, undressed from the waist down. She had suffered the most injuries out of everyone. She had been stabbed multiple times after her death. No. Um, while the other two teenagers had been killed with like less brutality. So she was stabbed a lot after she had died. And then Niels, who was her boyfriend, was also found lying on top of the tent. So he was the one who had sustained, like, the head wound but wasn't quite dead. So Niels was transported to a Red Cross station for treatment. And when he regained consciousness, they questioned him. And he claimed he remembered nothing at all from the attack but a black face with bright red eyes coming (gasps) for them. Oh, no. This has turned from true crime to paranormal. It's so creepy. That's all he remembered. He said it was, like, just a black form with, like, bright red eyes. And that's all he remembered. Well, that provides no leads to the police. That's fucking terrifying. Um, so this is where the police fucked up. They did not seal the site. They didn't record the details of the scene. Um, they almost immediately allowed a large number of police and other people to trample over the scene. Uh, they didn't collect evidence. They didn't record. So what did they do? What did they do? I mean, they took some notes, but they just let everybody kind of come in. So they didn't collect samples or things like that uh they even they called in soldiers to look for uh some missing like items and things but they tampered the whole crime scene basically that way um when they did examine the belongings they noticed that the killer had taken a series of items from the victims he took the keys to their motorcycles but he left the motorcycles Hmm. so the keys were gone but the motorcycles were still there um he took their wallets he took several of their clothing items, but some of them, including Neil's, the one who survived his shoes, but they were found half a mile from the crime scene, just kind Ooh. of like hidden under leaves. Weird. And then the murder weapons also were nowhere to be found. Even when they had soldiers come like look through the lake, they couldn't find anything. They've never been found since then. Um. So at this point, I mean, this is like very small town Finland in the 60s. Like this is not a thing that happened right you know um even nowadays so it was like really fucking horrifying and police had several suspects that they questioned so let's discuss let's discuss let's discuss we should have a podcast where we just discuss let's discuss like discuss it out okay okay (laughs) let's just discuss it out let's discuss it We'll just discuss a little discuss. It's like a little discussing, a little cussing, a little discussing. Hey. <laughs> God damn it. Okay. 
So the first guy they questioned was named Pauli Luoma. He had run away recently from a nearby work department close to the date of the murders. So police tracked him down and questioned him, but he had a solid alibi and was dismissed. The next person they questioned was a guy named Penti Soininen. Soininen. He was a maintenance man who was convicted of several violent crimes in the 60s. Um, So that was after the murder right in the decade after he had been convicted of several violent crimes and at age 24 he was in jail and he confessed that he had committed the lake bottom murders while he was in prison and when police checked out his story it turns out he had been 15 at the time of the murders and he actually lived nearby the lake oh my so police interrogated him but his confession wasn't given much weight because he was a known psychopath who liked to mess with people ah shit and so they were like, honestly, he could just be fucking with us for the sake of fucking with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 1969, Soininen hanged himself at a prisoner transport station on the anniversary of the night of the killings. Oh, shit. Eerie. Creepy. So that's the end of that guy. The next guy was named Valdemar Gilstrom, a.k.a. Kiosk Man. Oh, yeah. You know. My job one day, I'm sure. <laughs> it's just like working at a kiosk. <laughs> It's just, it's like that that friendly local kiosk man that we all know. (laughs) Many locals immediately suspected him because he ran a nearby kiosk, if you couldn't have guessed that. What? He did? I know. Weird. You thought he ran a butcher shop. You're not wrong. (laughs) A butcher kiosk. Butcher man. Okay. A meat kiosk. Well, stop. Okay. He ran... (laughs) (laughs) He ran a nearby kiosk and he hated campers. He would sometimes throw rocks at passing children. Well, that if that's not me when I'm older, I don't know what is. <laughs> if that's not a classic kiosk man, a classic kiosk man. I don't know what is. Oh, M the kiosk man. That sounds like <laughs> a fucking newspaper Sunday cartoon. M the kiosk man. <laughs> okay, so this guy fucking hated campers and everyone knew it. He hated children. Uh, also what a specific thing to hate <laughs> when you don't even work outside you work at a kiosk i mean a kiosk sort of outside right like you have like a little i think like a mall kiosk oh no i'm thinking like a like a train station kiosk or something oh but we're so, saying kiosk a lot and now it doesn't even sound like a name you like know a word when you anymore. say that i used to say the word salami over and over until salami. it just sounded like syllables. i see that with the word obey Oh, that's creepy. Obey, so obey, you were just obey. a small child yelling obey. Like I think I heard it from some demon. comedian at some point. And they were like, if you say obey enough times, it doesn't sound like a word anymore. And then I tried it and I was like, oh, no. You sound like a demon child. Obey, 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 obey. Fucking Furby. Yeah. All right. What were we talking about? Kiosks? I think so. Let's keep talking about those. Okay. All right. So he was just kind of like an asshole. And then during a drunken conversation with a neighbor... He confessed to the murders Uh-oh. soon before his death. He said, I killed them. Oh, that's pretty, pretty on the nose. It's like slightly incriminating. <laughs> um, so police talked to his wife and she claimed he had been asleep at home with her at the time of the killing. So police stopped investigating him. But he had also been f- seen filling a well in the front of his yard only days after the murders. And a lot of neighbors and even his relatives insisted that he had hidden the murder weapons in the filled in well Ooh! police never police searched his property though and they never found any physical evidence to convict him but uh, to this day he's still suspicious in many people's eyes 
1969, uh, Gilstrom drowned himself in Lake Bodum. Oh. And years later, his wife was on her deathbed and recanted the alibi hmm. she gave, saying he had threatened to kill her if she told police that he hadn't been at home that night. Oh. So police were apparently also skeptical of his confessions or his alleged confessions because they considered him, quote, disturbed. I mean, this is just a thought. Dab four people are probably also disturbed. I don't know. I'd imagine so. Anyway, so that's, but again, this is the second person who's admitted to or confessed to the murder. So it's like, what the fuck? Why does everyone want their name on this murder? Listen, I don't know, but you're going to, I do know something. I'm ready. You're going to like, I want to know it too. You're going to like this next guy's name. Tell me. First name Hans, last name Assman. <gasps> You're not wrong. That's a name I love. I'm not even making it up. Assman. Okay, so tell me he did it. It's spelled Assman with two N's, so like Asman. That's ah. Assman. Assman. Literally every article was like, "Can we talk about his name for a second? Okay. <laughs> like every single one written in English was like, "But let's focus on that for one minute. <laughs> then we can talk about him as a suspect." So his name is Hans Assman. I'm not even kidding. So this guy lived a few kilometers from Lake Bodum. Most of the public suspicion has been focused on him over the years. He was a former KGB spy and former Nazi. Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, the day after the murder, Assman, I can't even take it seriously. <laughs> it's so absurd. It's wonderful. Hans. It's like if his last name was like, fuckhead. <laughs> Someday you gotta ask my dad about his Paul Shithead joke. That's his favorite joke. He knows someone named Paul Shithead? Listen, just ask him about it. Okay. He will tell you the story so good. Maybe I should introduce myself first. Hi, I'm M. Tell me about Shithead. Paul Shithead. Favorite story. Okay. So, beep boop bop. Hans came into the Helsinki Surgical Hospital, his clothes covered in red stains, and his fingernails filled with black dirt. Staff said he was acting nervous and aggressive and even pretended to be unconscious for a while. Police didn't investigate him any further because they said he had a solid alibi. Uh, but this was against the doctor's insistence that the stains on his clothes were blood, and the police refused to take the clothes as samples to investigate. What kind of fucking Finland police are there where they're like, nah, let's not take the clothes. They're like, it. let's just let them trample all over the crime scene. I mean, he might be painting a house red. Let's Who take knows? a note and then throw it away. Let's just let ass man go. Yeah. Also, why is he pretending to sleep? That's some creepy shit. He was pretending to be unconscious, apparently. Like, for show? Like, just like in the hospital. Like, just... They said he was, like, aggressive and crazy and then just pretended to be unconscious. And they just, okay. And they were like, something's wrong with him. And they're like, oh, well, it's not, he's not the guy. Uh, okay. It's not, he's covered in blood, but it's fine. <laughs> um, so later, he also raised suspicion, raised some red flags. Uh, he, there was a news report. Remember those kids I said who had those uh, lovely binoculars who were yeah. bird watching? So they had seen the tent, but they had also reported that same day that they had seen a blonde man walking from the tent away. Hmm. so there was a news report where they talked about these kids who had seen this blonde guy and they described him as having long blonde hair so right after that news report came out hans cut his long blonde hair short oh shit and everyone was like wait what the fuck um and then later niels gustafson the one who survived the guy who survived was put under hip uh, hypnosis and he described the same long blonde hair 
Oh, wow. And so the guy had cut the, his hair off. <clears throat> so, Dr. Jorma Paulo, one of the first doctors to examine Aspen, <laughs> went on to write three books about his connection to the murders. Um, and then former detective Mati Paloaro connected him to five other homicides that he believed he might have committed. So, five other unsolved homicides. Uh, some people think that his that Hans's political connections were the reason he wasn't investigated further. So he had all these like connections to, I mean, obviously Nazi, KGB, etc. Yeah. So some people thought maybe those were the reason he somehow got out of right being investigated. So this guy Hans Assman was considered the public's main suspect for about forty four years. Until two th- 44 years. So he Jesus was like Christ. the main fucking suspect. In 2004, investigators decided to reopen the case due to advanced technology that had apparently uncovered new blood evidence on a pair of shoes and new testimony from a woman who claimed to have been camping nearby that night. Ooh. So the new DNA analysis led to the arrest of a new suspect. Named? Lone survivor Niels Gustafson. Ooh, he did it to them and then to himself. Dun, dun, dun. That makes sense, I guess, if his girlfriend was the one that was most brutally disturbed. So the new... So at this point, uh, Gustafson had moved on. He was living a somewhat normal life. He had a family. He was a retired school bus driver. Um, And according to the prosecution, who took him to trial... They believed Gustafson got drunk, killed his three friends due to a combination of jealousy and teenage hormones. Uh, if we've had him once, we've had him a million times. <laughs> Millions of those hormones just... I mean, they're the reason I killed all my friends. It's like homicidal rage. I know. I know. I mean, it's why we listen to emo Deirdre music. only survived because she sends me sugar bush autographs. <laughs> listen up close, friends. Um... So they speculated that he used a blunt object to then give himself a concussion. A woman claiming that she had been camping nearby that same night said that Gustafson and the other guy visited her campsite that night, were drunk and aggressive, but there were no there was no evidence to corroborate her story, and her story came out right as a documentary was being filmed about it. So it was the first time in 45 years that anyone had heard of this, and it happened to be through a documentary. Right. Uh, so they used DNA analysis to prove that all three murder victims' blood was on the pair of shoes that they had found like half a mile away that belonged mm. to Niels Gustafson, but his blood was not on the shoes. And they basically, the prosecution argued that this meant Gustafson had been stabbed at a different time than the other three, meaning he had inflicted it upon himself after he had gotten rid of his shoes. Mm. That was their argument. Um. Gustafson was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison, but his sentence only lasted a year and then was immediately overturned. He was released. Finland paid him 44,900 euro for the mental suffering caused by the long remand time. Uh, He's no longer considered a suspect. Why? Because they just didn't have the evidence. They said like, oh, his blood wasn't on the shoes, but that doesn't. Right. I guess someone could have killed all of them, taken his shoes. And then it just wasn't or, yeah. proof to be like, he definitely did it. And it was one of those things where they were like, oh, yeah, we solved the case finally. And then a year later, he was like, he appealed and they were like, I guess we really don't have any reason <laughs> to keep you. Also, how old was he at that point? Like in his 50s or 60s? Like, um, I don't know. It was 44 years later. So 
First of all, that also would have taken a lot of heart to break your own fucking jaw and stab yourself in the brain. Oh, yeah. And he was unconscious. Like, he was out. And then people argued, like, how would he have hidden the murder weapons if he was unconscious? if he stabbed himself in the brain. And then the knife and the blunt object were never found even when they... Can you imagine if you already went through all of... Like, you're a teenager. Your girlfriend gets brutally murdered. Mm -hmm. All of your friends are dead. You barely make it out alive. And you're like, I can't believe I went through that. And then after spending like 40 something years trying to get past that Be normal, then they're like, oh, you did it. And you're going to go to jail for the rest of your life. Why don't you go to jail? <laughs> yeah, it's it's fucking terrifying. And I mean, who knows? But at the same time, think about all the other people who seemed like the exact person who would have done it. It's like mm-hmm. it's easy to like right. assume one of, you know, that he did it if you prove it the right way. But then one of their arguments, too, was that his blood was found around the tent and they were like well yeah but he was also stabbed in the head like of course it's fucking blood you know so it was just very they had very flimsy evidence and like even once he appealed they were like yeah we did not have enough evidence to prove that you did it so he was rewarded 45,000 euro for you know that whole thing and since then no suspects have been brought to trial the case remains unsolved however this is kind of creepy there is a photograph that you can see online that was taken at one of the victim's funerals, and it shows an un- unidentified man who looks exactly like the composite sketch released by police Ugh. that was drawn when Niels Gustafson was under hypnosis. He like he like drew, he explained yeah the face, and they drew it. And if you look at the photo. It's He's in there. The face, and nobody still knows who that is, and it's like all family and friends, and then this guy oh, weird. at the funeral. Ugh. I know, and he looks just like. And I was like, "What do you mean he looks just like a drawing?" But like, it's really uncanny. Wow. And he's still un- unidentified. So that's one <laughs> other weird element that nobody has been able to figure out. Um. So this is arguably Finland's most famous unsolved murder. Obviously. Um, it's had tremendous cultural impact both in Finland and globally. So there's a pretty famous band, I don't know if you know them, from nearby Espoo, Finland, called Children of Bodom. Nope. So they are pretty well known. They took their name from the case. Um, apparently the legend goes, or the story goes, that they were looking through the phone book and trying to come up with a cool name, and they saw, like, Lake Bodom, and they were like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, <laughs> we're going to name ourselves after that. Nice. Crime or whatever. Nice. Um, so they're, uh, <laughs> you know, your average Finnish melodic death metal band. Oh, well, that's all I've ever wanted. I mean, I know there's a lot of bands in that genre. I mean, I have a specific music preference. Right. And if you look close enough, it really is all just Finnish it's death just metal. metal. Yeah. Yeah. I plan on dancing with Allison to finish death metal at our wedding one oh, day. Oh, that's precious. She, she actually asked for it. That's really heartwarming it just i mean we're meant to be i mean why not name it after a brutal murder in finland mm-hmm. i think my dad and i might dance to that for the father-daughter dance Ooh, i know sweet fun so anyway that's that's the story of the lake bodum murders thank you alina for sending that in thank you alina also alina that's kind of weird that you know so much and that you wanted us to talk about it alina like do you like listen to death metal what it is interesting that we do have listeners. I mean, Grant, this is what we literally asked them to do. But people think of like, oh, what's the most fucked up thing I know? Oh, 
Christine and M, you guys should go spend your entire <laughs> night researching this whole thing and really just ruining your own mental energy. I and mean, then report it for all of us. You're right in that, like, we literally beg people to do yeah, that. Yeah, so, like, I can't be mad, but also it's like, I I don't want to thank you entirely. Because because <laughs> of you, I am now having nightmares that Allison has to deal with all the time, and then I get yelled at in the morning. I mean, there's a little bit of resentment building towards you all. At one point, Allison was like, I think you should go to a therapist, because apparently <laughs> oh, all, no. all the time... Now, like, regularly, I have horrible dreams because of all the shit I'm reading before I go to bed. And now I just, like, flounder in bed, apparently. I just, like, I, like, jab her in the face with my elbows. She's like, I think you need to, like, like talk to someone about your dreams. I, I'm like, probably. I mean, she's not wrong. <laughs> probably. I have a, uh, like, I'm using Talkspace, which is one of our sponsors, by the way, guys, if you are interested talkspace.com slash whoever your representative is i'm so sorry for what they probably have to listen to like (laughs) listen i have a true crime podcast and i i talk about murder and this poor lady she's like (laughs) so she i she's great like it's a really great service and i it's great because you can talk to them whenever you need to and then they'll get back to you so i'll like message her occasionally and i like i'm always messaging her about the podcast and i'm like i'm so stressed out like i I don't know how to manage my time, blah, 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 blah. And then she's like, so I know a lot about M. Let's talk about your fiance. (laughs) No, 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 no. But that's not important. No, no, no. I'm like, no, no, no. Let's talk about the podcast. Did you tell her the name of the podcast? I don't Probably for the best. Yeah, I probably won't. Because she'll probably listen to it and be like, oh, this is the fucking, this is the girl that's talking to me. She's beyond help. Also, probably like if you told her, oh, yeah, I have a podcast called and that's why we drink. Oh, she's going to figure out where my problems are. You guys, thanks for listening. We love you. And thanks for being our patrons and being patient with us as we try to give you all the gifts we can give you. Also, we have a Facebook Live video coming out soon. That's right. Correct? Yes. On the 14th? Sunday the 14th at 3 p.m. Yay. Pacific time. Pacific. So if you haven't joined, if you're a patron and you haven't joined the ATWWD patron only Facebook group, then go join that so you can be part of the Facebook Live. Yes. Next Sunday. Also, uh, if you wanted to follow us anywhere in the world. And you do. On social media. You can follow our personal pages at Schiefer and the M. Schultz. Is that true? Wow, wow, wow. How do you do that noise? <laughs> wow, 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 wow. I don't that, know. like air horn? Oh, like the John wow, Cena wow, wow. sound? Yeah. I don't know. Okay. And uh, <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> You can also follow uh, Geo on Instagram at Geo underscore takes underscore LA. That's right. It's a real babe. He's a babe. Um, you can follow our so podcast. Now all, uh, so now that we're off the individual. Yes. yes. <laughs> you can also follow my mother anywhere at Linda Freeze. <laughs> so listen, Renata wants to be friend. Renata accepts all the friend requests. And I'm like, Aww. stop accepting random people. She's like, no, they're really friendly. And she's I'm like, like, look, with my true crime background, I can handle anything. Yeah, she's like, don't worry, I have a knife on me. Oh my god, go on. So our podcast, <laughs> you can find right. us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at atwwd podcast. You can also follow us. Um, where else? Let's see. We have a website. Yes, we, we do. do. We do. And we that's why do. we drink.com. It's been a while, guys. My spiel is a little rusty. I mean, this is really the only thing I depend on you for here. We have a website, and that's why we drink.com. We also have a store where you can buy our fun merch, right. and that's why we drink at dot big cartel.com. Correct. 
And then you can also help us at Patreon with ATWWD Podcast. We have an email, and that's why we drink at gmail.com, where you can send in your listeners' episodes. We put out... Listener stories. God damn it. Let me just do it again. Guys, sometimes I give Em, like, a little, like, chance to talk. <laughs> Shut up. I'm just kidding. <laughs> listeners' stories, and we put out listeners' episodes at the first of every month. Just kidding. I'm em. just going to stop trying You're now. You're the only one who knows how to do it. Guys, I'm usually really good at this. I know you know that because you listened to the, all the episodes before this one. It's just we've been MIA for, like, two weeks now. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening to us. Seriously, we thank have you. we have um, a, a potential perfect clink. Oh right, we tried to practice this. Let's see what happens. All right, ready? Wait, is it? It's got to be uh, this one. Relatively filled. Right. Yeah, because no, it hit the, the table. That's all. Hit it like this. Nope. nope. Oh. It's got to be on hard ground. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Try this one. God damn it! We thought we'd be so good at this. Ready? That was pretty perfect. Ah, high five. All right. Now we know how to do that. We can't mess up anymore. All right. So now we need to On leave. On the 50th episode, we will nail it. Uh, okay. We need to leave this wine glass exactly full like that. Yep. <laughs> Forever. It's going to have fruit flies in it and mold. Goodbye. And that's why we drink. And that's why we drink. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.